guys, this is Desi, and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. Today's guest is Kenny Akers. Kenny Akers is an African-American man who has made actual news all over the state of Utah. He is a 15-year honorable combat veteran, a military officer, a husband of 10 years, a father, and a grandfather. The reason that Kenny made the news over here in Utah, and I don't know where else, that he has been on radio news, ABC news, and many different things already is because during the riots a couple Saturdays ago, he stood up in front of 7-Eleven and made a very powerful statement and speech to the looters and people that were very angry. It was a beautiful speech. He talks about how love is the answer, not hate. And so I just thought it would be great to have Kenny here to kind of talk to us and tell us his view on everything, you know, as an African-American man, as a military officer. So, Kenny, welcome to my podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the honor. Thank you. Of course. If you just kind of want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how your, you know, your background of how you grew up and what got you to that moment on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a journey. I'm not a young man anymore. You know, I'm 47 years old. Growing up here in Utah was definitely a, a, a special journey in itself. I mean, there's a lot of mm-hmm. stories and a lot of incidences that happened along the way. So being a kid, growing up in Salt Lake City, Utah, being a minority African-American male, kind of had its own resistance you know, it came along with its own bullying, you know, not to be very specific. I'm not really necessarily want to trigger any, any more animosity between cultures. Mm-hmm. But there was, you could use your wildest imagination, if you would. There was plenty of that while I was growing up as a child. You know, it, it brought a, a few other challenges to it. It inhibited my education, reading, my learning studies and everything like that. It uh, probably suppressed a lot of my interpersonal reactions with people, you know, how I viewed them and um, being able to grow as a, as a human being, you know, I, I pretty much kind of kept to myself. You kind of get into the, these things and, and it kind of changes your personality and changes your outlook in life. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of glided along school, if you would, you know, just try to dodge as much drama or, you know, problems along the way and uh, kind of made it through elementary school and, Typical boy, a few fights here, you know, tussing and mm-hmm. with guys every once in a while. And junior high, you know, a new light. Everybody gets excited for junior high. <laughs> right. Looking back now, I don't know why, but junior high <laughs> be the spot. Yeah. So junior high was was kind of exciting, you know, where you kind of grew into more of being a person and finding a little bit more identity. For me back then, it was you know. I, Again, since at the first year, I, I timestamp myself, but during the 80s, in the 90s, you know, you got all this hip hop era going on and, you know, and, and, and the cultural identity that went along with, you know, African-American males and, and stuff like that, which, you know, I was also a huge part of that, too. You know, I was starting to grow a flat mm-hmm. top, high top fade, <laughs> right? all the cool music back then, right? There was a lot of things that happened in junior high, but it, it, it seemed like it went by pretty fast for me. You know, junior high was just kind of a, a blink of an eye. There wasn't really that much animosity as it was in elementary school. It seems like a lot of those indifferences between cultures happened quite a bit in uh, elementary school rather than the junior high. My junior mm-hmm. high, I went to, I, if this is um, 
people are familiar with um, Utah. I went to Kearns Junior High. Okay. Um, yeah, Western Hills Elementary. So yes, I'm at the K Town. <laughs> I rep my little K Town, but I mean, way back, way back when. And so Kearns Junior High was a very unique melting pot, if you would. Um, there was, uh, you know, of course, you got the LDS Church here, and you mm-hmm. have, you know, a, a lot of diversity that come with that, you know, and specifically, you know, Polynesian. Dongan and uh, Samoan mm-hmm. and, um, and a, a lot of Hispanic folks too. So junior high for me, from my journey in uh, elementary school, kind of solidified those, those particular problems because I could immediately identify with other cultures that were going through the same thing while they were in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So once we were able to share those type of stories, it, it almost kind of maybe strengthened me a little bit, kind of gave me a little bit more willpower to think, hey, I'm, I'm not alone in this journey. And so when I was able to exchange those stories and, you know, we could have our laughs and we could kind of grow together, it really um, prepared me for high school. You know, here I am back being a, a normal guy. I was super athletic, very involved in sports. Basketball was my thing. You know, I was tall kid over six foot six six two six three at the time and you know I I had some pretty good jumps you know I could get up there above the rim when I was back in ninth grade I was I was jumping up there so you know Mm -hmm. a lot of people was pretty interested me in in high school to play ball and and that's exactly what I did I kind of fell into that groove of being the you know the popular kid by default I mean I was one of maybe three black kids in my high school right to talk off, you know, here I am on, on, on the varsity basketball team. So, you know, everybody in school knew me. Now, when I started to get to high school, back in junior high, those stories that I shared and the connections that I made with, you know, different cultures, I think really shaped me into high school because once that happened, it kind of gave me the confidence to kind of pretty much be who I was and be absolutely comfortable with who I am being an African-American black male in, in society and, and be very limited to who I was around, regardless of some of the comments that were made, regardless of some of the things that were done in classes. I mean, I remember in high school, my sophomore year, because I started to stand on this, this strong pedestal of blackness, if you would. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of challenged my history teacher because once we got into history lesson school, you know, he, he started to teach me about all the bad things about black history, which was, you know, slavery, which, mm. you know, isn't really necessarily bad. But I mean, as a young black man, you don't want to hear the, the negative things. And I don't think anybody really wants to hear the negative things about anything. Right. You don't really necessarily want to hear about any of that. So that's normal. So <laughs> he um, continued to tell me, you know, this is this is part of my history. And that was pretty strong statement from a teacher mm-hmm. from what I had been taught from my family and the things that I had been told. I was told all the positive things. My lineage comes from Africa, of course, and the things that I know about myself from West Africa are a lot more stronger and, and prominent than the depictions that were made by this teacher. Right. So, you know, I turned around and, and told him about specific individuals, you know, I'm like, well, what about Martin Luther King? What about Malcolm X? What about you know, these, these other strong individuals. And he told me that these individuals were in his sense of mind were rebels and they were disrupting (laughs) what, what society was meant to be. Keep in mind now we're in class, you know, this is, I'm a sophomore in in high school and we're in class 
experience in this. So you got a class full of 30, you know, maybe 40 kids at the time and all the attention in this classroom. There's no cell phones. <laughs> right. There's no, there's no pagers. There's no, you know, I, I hate to to sound all this stuff off and really put my age out there. All of, <laughs> all of the distraction that we have now. You got 1,000% attention from every student in that class. And um, it really wasn't a point for me to say the teacher was wrong because I, I think students, be, you know, they're rebellious in class, you know, especially when you're a teenager, you, you kind of you kind of challenge authority a little bit and you kind of push the envelopes and the boundary of self, I think. And so that was probably my particular moment that kind of stands out in, in, in high school where maybe the little flame of activism kind of got ignited. I do reflect on that moment quite a bit. I'm not sorry for the conversation that I had with him because I think he needed to understand too that not necessarily all black history is about slavery. And, and that's not what it's really about. That slavery is what happened to us, you know, despite of colonization. And we all know the reasons behind that. But I had a lot of conversations after that. Kids in the class would come up to me, you know, and they would say, hey, man, you know, I didn't really know that. You know, I didn't, I always thought, you know, the history of black slavery. Can you tell me more? And so I would actually sit down with guys sometimes, you know, or gals. We would sit down at lunch break or between class and kind of give people little bits and pieces. And, and honestly, that empowered me even more at the point, you know, because mm-hmm. it made me feel really proud that people were interested in my culture, you know, especially in such a light, limited demographic in Salt Lake City, Utah. You know, they, they really didn't know nothing. You know, they were taught the same things that I was taught in school. And so for them to get enlightened with something more powerful and that kind of history that went along with it, you know, they, they, they felt connected to it as well. So that was really neat for me. And so that kind of moved, you know, of course, sophomore year, senior year, you know, it was kind of some interesting things that had happened, you know, because here, here we are again, back in Salt Lake City, you got the populace of, you know, certain religions and stuff like that. And of course, being a young man, you know, you get interested in girls mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. those type of things happen. And, um, yes, I did like girls back in high school, believe it or not. I probably like <laughs> those type of things. You kind of find those things out along the way, but, um, right. started getting asked dances or I would ask gals to dances, you know, because that was kind of, you know, in Utah, you got to really remember back then, especially, you know, it was very reserved. You know? mm-hmm. Times were kind of different back then the way they are now, but, asking a girl to prom, you know, and it's not, you don't think about these things when you're a kid, you don't turn around and turn on the light bulb one day and say, Hey, you know, I can only ask an African American girl to a dance with me because I'm African American too. Right. You don't think about those things as a kid. And, you know, we don't, we don't socially identify. Well, we do socially identify at a very young age, but you know, you don't think about those things. You know, you just think about a girl that you like and she's funny, she's cute, whatever. And, Hey, let's let's go to the dance together and have some fun. You know, you could book, you know, that's that's kind of how simple it should really be, right? Well, I was faced with a couple incidences junior in high school where, you know, I would ask girls to dances and and you know, they would tell me that their parents wouldn't approve. And and, and I never really corralled this around ethnicity. Because once again, not saying that I wasn't fully identified, but I didn't really think of these things when I was a child because I've pretty much just had made up in my mind, you know, being a black man, I didn't make the connection to why 
they wouldn't be approved or why they wasn't able to be seen with me or why their parents didn't approve of it. I just thought, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'll just ask them. I'll ask the next gal to the dance. You know? Right. I hate to call myself a jock, but I was, you know, I played basketball track and all that other kind of stuff. And I know that kind mm-hmm. of comes with a different stereotype. But I was a pretty caring kid in school too. I dedicated my time to um, special resources classes where kids that were challenged, you know, if you would, I would spend time helping them read or help them get to class, you know, if they were in a wheelchair or if they had, right. I don't know how to describe it. I just, because I felt like I was maybe treated the way that I was, I found myself in a position that might have been more beneficial than someone else's. And if I found myself more beneficial, then I could help those that were less fortunate than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just really honestly believed at the time that I had something, despite of how I was being treated, I still felt like I could give to somebody else. And that's Mm -hmm. where I really found a very touching part in my heart to give to people, just of what was happening to me at the time. The very pure intimacy of giving to somebody else was sincere. There was no color boundary. There was no, hey, you're in this wheelchair and we're knocking it against the wall 50,000 times. I'm not going to push you anymore. I just really felt in my heart that that was kind of the right thing to do. And and that was kind of my exit rather than returning to anger and really getting fueled and upset about things that were happening to me in high school. So Turning to the girls, you know, because that's the fun part, right? I remember they have these dances. It's the morp or the, you know, the backwards dance, you know, where the girls. Yes, yes, yes. Here I am, you know, walking down the hall. You know, I got my letterman's jacket on. Cool jock guy, right? (laughs) I remember being asked to this dance and one of the gals had a stack of balloons, if you would. And this is when I was a junior in high school and she had the stack of balloons. So she came up to me and. She was a cheerleader. I was pretty hesitant, you know, to anything that happened in high school. Because, you know, high school, everybody's got surprises in high school. Right. I remember her handing me these balloons and they had these paper cut out signs. Will you, you know, and, and, you know, all those little cute little things that go along with that. And she had a needle in her hand. She went to pop these balloons and each balloon, you know, had different kind of stuff. Now, when one of the balloons popped, it had kind of a syrupy, goopy mess in there, you know, so here it's all over my letterman's jacket, you know, it's a couple hundred dollars, you know, to your folks. That right. was a lot of money back in the day, you know. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, all right, where's this going? You know? So she popped one and popped the second one and uh, feathers started to come out of the second balloon. Now, if you know anything about that, you know, tarring and feathering kind of goes back, back. Right, right. So I'm not really going to really touch too much on that. I'll leave that to your listeners but that was just kind of a trigger for you to kind of felt like that was stereotype. Right. Okay. I had at that point, you know, here I am, this young man, I'm going through elementary school. I've gone through these indifferences. I've gone through junior high. I've gone through the bullying. I've gone through name calling, the, the everything that went along with it, you know, and I felt like finally here I'm in junior high. I had finally came unglued. You know, if we go back to this video where I was in front of the 7-Eleven trying to defend the uh, property down there, I got a pretty loud, boisterous voice. And I've I've always had that. You know, once I dial into it, I can get pretty dang loud. (laughs) I can too. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I think most of us can. But I, uh, 
you know, my kids may think I got this roaring thunder voice, but I got pretty upset about it. I really couldn't contain the emotions anymore. I remember these days very specifically, and I, I revert back to them quite a bit. And, you know, I was upset. I started yelling. I probably flew out a few flagrants, you know, because I'm a young man. I'm probably a little bit untamed. And so, you know, I just kind of said what was on my mind. And um, I remember the dean from the high school, the assistant principal, if you would, whatever, came out, kind of got upset with me because immediately he just started attacking me just because I seemed to be the aggressor. We could relate this scenario to probably a, a lot of things that are going on in society right now, how situations We don't see how it started. We just see the reaction. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And instead of mending or touching the reaction, because let's just face it, a lot of people are scared to mend the reaction, right? We're afraid to, especially if I'm standing there. I mean, here I am, the basketball guy, and, you know, I'm pretty tall, and I was skinny and lanky at the time, so I don't understand why anybody would be afraid of me. But that would be pretty aggressive for somebody, you know? If, If they grew up with the fears that they did against minorities or they were told they act a certain way, then I could see that being very intimidating for them. So that brought in another altercation in itself. And the problem in itself never got addressed because now mm-hmm. the teacher had, had come out and he, you know, kind of went to his thing and here's the Dean and I, or excuse me, the assistant principal, you know, here him and I are going back and forth now, you know? And so the right. original problem just completely, completely got dismissed. And so because it's got dismissed and I got no validation in regards to the problem that had happened, I'm even more upset. Right. Well, because at this point, nobody's validating how you're feeling about what just happened. Nobody's taking any type of accountability for what happened. Like, I am so sorry. I didn't think about it when I did that, anything. And so your feelings are being completely pushed aside, which isn't fair. Absolutely. And so now... It turns into a physical altercation, you know, the, the assistant principal, you know, kind of snatches me up. Because remember, he's, he's, he's an older gentleman, you know, he's good sized, you know, and he kind of snatches me up, if you would, and, and kind of escorts me off the property and tells me right then and there I'm suspended from school. Now, I'm a junior in high school, okay? I didn't find myself to be the best student back in the day, but, you know, I enjoyed paying attention. You know, going back all the way to elementary school, my studies, I felt like, were inhibited because all the bullying and all the things that were going on, it just really left a very small pain in my heart to kind of sit in class and pay attention to those studies. Afterwards, you know, there's no excuse to that because you have to take responsibility. You have to take accountability for yourself. But there was a lot of interruptions, if you would. I almost wish that I had it easy today just to have a cell phone because of the things that, you know, I had to deal with really interrupted my studies at a, at a very young age. But at that point, you know, I was, I was afraid to tell my folks. I was afraid to say something to my mother. My mother was very huge about education, and she still is. And, you know, my father was kind of the fist in regards to this and smackdown guy when it comes to things like this. And I was really afraid to tell him, you know. I, I kind of played hooky for a little bit without telling him what was going on. And, you know, I, I didn't really address it because they didn't call. The school didn't call my folks or, or anything. And I, I think I remember I almost finished out the rest of the week. It might have been on a Tuesday or something like that. I finished out the rest of the week not even going to school. You know, I was hanging out at the 7-Elevens or walking the streets. Mm -hmm. And I look back at this, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what if I was really in an inner city ordeal and that happened? These kids are out on the streets and they don't have anywhere else to turn to. If we're associating this with racial boundaries and stuff like that, inadvertent problems that happen just because somebody wants to make a stand or make a statement or just because they're not 
trained or understood or exposed to, mm-hmm. to deal with certain mm-hmm. things, you know, what we're actually cultivating in our own society and how we're, we're interrupting children's growth. As you could tell, I've done a, a, it's been my entire life to reflect on these type of things because, you know, I, I, let's just face it, I got to get myself together too at some point, right? I can't, I can't right. let these things be a burden and hang on my shoulder. It'll just be a problem to society. So I have to kind of get it together myself and you have to reflect on those things. So going back to the high school, speaking of getting it back together, you know, I, it, it eventually came to the point where I was brought back into school and that type of thing. And, and at that point, it became even worse because mm-hmm. now everybody in school, you know, had been talking about, oh my gosh, Kenny Akers, did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? And right. Then all of a sudden I was the problem kid. You know, I literally, the problem kid, you know, and because it didn't matter if I tried to tell people, I mean, if you understand this young lady, tarred and feathered me, like, do you right. understand what had happened? You know, like, do you, do you not know how extreme that is? Here we are in 1989, 19-something, whatever, and, and right. you're telling me, you know, we're accepting being tarred and feathered in high school, and you're looking at me as a bad kid. No, I'm infuriated. Which, right, you have every right to be. <laughs> and did she, did this girl ever, like, say anything to you about it after? Like, did she even try to understand? No, but I will tell you this. Years later, okay, as we become adults, there has been a relationship built between this person and I. And, you know, there's kind of a, there has been some mending in regards to that, which I've never asked. I've never reached out to her, but the mending started with me. See, could you imagine if I went my entire life and just held on to that grudge? I mean, it was detrimental. There's been a lot, there's been a lot of detrimental things, you know, and and sometimes I've kind of had some counterbalance conversations with other black men and women where I grew up and the, you know, the, the whole controversy with that, oh, you've never been exposed to racism. I sit there and tell them, man, let me tell you (laughs) You know, so <laughs> peeling it back, we, we just got to come to a better understanding of each other, you know, and, and if, if you can stand confidently of self, you know, it's unfortunate that we, we get things that have happened to us. And I don't stand here today saying, you know, I would never downplay somebody's feelings because gosh, man, I really get it. You know what I mean? I really honestly get it. Right. But there's got to be really some point in time to whatever traumatic situation has happened. You really need a glimpse of hope, if you would, and understand the foresight that you could keep moving. And it really doesn't matter if you just take, geez, just a baby step, you know, just just right. one little baby step. Even if it just kills you, even if it's just one second out of the day, you know, like, if something traumatic happened to you and, and at 24 hours you're crying yourself to smithereens and stuff and one second of the day you smiled, that's progress. Right. I know it's hard because it, I can only tell you these stories and these things that had happened to me and, and, and somebody else may relate to it and I hope so. And, you know, other people could sit there and say, you know what, geez, I'd, I'd be infuriated for the rest of my life over stuff like that. And I get that too. But what we were designed to do was love, you know, and we're, we're designed mm-hmm. to have the compassion for others and as much in my heart and my soul where I was upset and confused at this young lady at the time for what she had done how much of a burden is that on me that I got to carry around all that weight all that hate right exactly and it does it's not harming her it's just harming you it's harming how you're doing going through life 
All right, guys. So if you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen me wearing and repping the cutest leggings and workout gear. Well, all of that is from my ladies at Clone Apparel. The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, Darkness Before Dawn on season one, which was about suicide prevention. Clone specializes in apparel for every booty and boob type. Plus, they have stuff for men as well. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up my kids and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, or showing my booty. They are squat proof, moisture wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $45. They will be launching new styles including high-waisted workout shorts this month, which I seriously cannot wait for. Check out the clone highlight on my Instagram page and make sure you follow them on Facebook and or Instagram at clone apparel. That's K-L-O-N apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. Also, if you use the discount code candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out now. You will not regret it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, and that's even like what you said a minute ago is that what, you know, if anyone would have given you, so I'm really big on talking about empathy to people because I think people get sympathy and empathy mixed up. And so I think it's very important to like specify like sympathy is, Oh, I'm psycho bad for this person. But empathy is right. what we need as human beings as that girl and other people in your school and your principal or whoever it is that was involved in that situation would have given you empathy as in, you know what, Kenny, I am so sorry that that offended you. I am so sorry that this happened. I don't think that's what she meant, but I completely understand why you're upset about it. I let's go calm down and let's go talk about it or put themselves in your situation. And that is where I think is the problem with even what's happening right now is people are giving the black community empty of what they have to go through on a regular basis of what minorities have to go through on a regular basis. They don't understand. And so they don't relate. And so because they don't relate or understand, then that means they, they don't try. And so they kind of just close it off and are just like, Oh, well, they're just problematic. You know what I mean? When instead of trying to understand like, Hey, these people are pissed and have every right to be pissed. Right. You nailed it on the button. And I hope right as that story I had told you closely relates, you know, to when these incidents has come up. Now, I've also had other conversations because it takes the intelligent level to really peel these ordeals back. You really need to be in touch with yourself to understand what is actually mm-hmm. happening. So right. let's take, for instance, this incident that just recently happened. You've got a lot of people that are veering off to the left. Well, this guy isn't the most beautiful particular individual in society. Okay. Great. That's what's going on. And how come, you know, we're, we're blackballing the police. And then there's the other subject in regards to that. And so these topics that I've been having the last week with the city council senators, the you know, governor, the, the news and, and, and all these people. And what I have learned to understand and this and I stand on this very strongly. And, and, and you have to break these things down as an individual when you bring empathy. OK, and mm-hmm. you have to be compassionate about this. And you have to understand we spoke about the dean earlier in the school. If and you you said it beautifully, if you would have just shown empathy, and this is a good step for empathy for anybody, is looking at the problem and saying, okay, if we look at this police and the individual, I'm really staying reserved by not saying any names because I, I'm just really trying to stay as neutral as I can. So I just hope you understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. When these incidences happen, you got to look at the pure facts. Okay. 
we have an authoritative figure that has to abide by rules and regulations. He has a step of authority that he's supposed to follow and procedures in regards to apprehension, okay? The things that led this man's death was clearly outside policy and procedure. So when that happens, empathy needs to be embedded right then and there. Why do we have an authoritative figure exemplifying this much brutality on this situation? And that's when you can start unfolding the other issues that go along with it. If it happens to be racially driven, if it happens to be this, if it happens to be that, then you can kind of add things in. But you have a base of empathy to understand, wow, that was an over-excessive incident. And I'm starting to see these over-excessive incidences happening quite a bit. Why is that Mm -hmm. happening? So when you start asking those questions to yourself to understand the situation, then you can start understanding a lot better. But if if you completely excuse, like back in high school, to her and, you know, years later as we become an adult, and I've never heard from the dean, you know, I'm sure he's finally, you know, come and gone because that was some time ago, right? It's like timestamp. Right. But if we don't show empathy at that point in time, imagine what could have. I mean, there's been a lot of scenarios, you know, and I've been super blessed that, you know, I just kind of been guided through these things and been able to be in the position where I'm at today. I've overlooked those troubles and and kind of steered away from that. But when people overlook the empathy, that's the problems that we're having right now. Well, people are not understanding. They're just agreeing. Well, the police officer was on his neck for eight minutes and three seconds. And I mean, he's not the best standing citizen. I mean, and and when you have a society, right, that's agreeing (laughs) that that's okay. (laughs) We really have a problem here. You know, when you're agreeing that there's the the physical force justified because your opinion about his history is not upstanding, then therefore you're you're authorizing an executioner on the street. And that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of coming from a sadistic point of view rather than an empathetic and loving type of view. An empathetic, right. you know, loving type of view would be like, oh, geez, you know, that's horrible. You know, the law enforcement, they're supposed to apprehend a criminal. Yeah, he's got a bad mm-hmm. criminal past. You know, that police officer did a fantastic job apprehending him, got him up, got him some water, dusted him off a little bit. You know, I, that's why I pay good money for the law enforcement officer to catch these guys and bring him to justice. Right. And then we can turn around and say, well, we feel bad for this gentleman who got arrested. You know, I... I hope the judge seeks mercy on his crime or whatever he's done. And, and we believe in the judicial system, you know, and, and to bring, you know, those things to justice. And, and people are rehabilitated like we've been told that they should be and get into a process that they can be more active individuals in society. And that's the system that we're supposed to be having. Now, that never happened because we just executioned the individual on the street. Right. No, I completely I like that. That's the thing, though, is I just. That's what's frustrating about this whole situation is even after all that happened, people still are understanding that that's all that needed to be done. All that needed to be done was the empathy part. And it could have been as simple as that. And here we are a couple few weeks later, and it's literally turned into war out there because of it. All because people couldn't try to put themselves in that, in that situation and get any type of grace. Sure. Sure. Now, now look at this. Now this, this, this onion unfolds even more, right? Because now you're witnessing it. Now, if you're if you're if you're a God loving person, you know you understand that our purpose is to gather and, and and protect. You know we're not supposed to attack and destroy. You know, mm-hmm. so 
with that, if you're observing right now, you're observing what you just said right there. You're observing that we've turned against each other because now it's a black and white thing again. Now it's a, mm-hmm. it's a police officer, you know, or this sort of thing again. I mean, we're repeating this because what's happening is, is that the unity that we so-called have in this country by, by being united, we don't, everybody gets defended. You know, we're, we're on the defense, you know, we're, we're, you know, oh, geez, you, you don't want to show empathy for this individual passing away for, you know, uh, being uh, uh, executioned on the street for eight minutes and 43 seconds. And, and you don't you don't want to show empathy towards that, because if you look at it, you know, the black community are, are, are empathetic to it because we are observing that happening happening to our community. So we're bonding together to bring this to a stop. And right. you know, Martin, Martin Luther King had said this best back during the, the civil rights movement, which it's astounding to me that we're doing this again today. That yeah, exactly. Let your oppressor know that we are not making a stand just not only for ourselves, but we're making a stand for you, too. Mm-hmm. Now, when Martin Luther King said that, do you understand that we are all citizens of this country and we are all subjected to these these individuals if it was to happen? And if we're all saying and agreeing that, you know, on the other page, if we're all saying and agreeing that this happens, you know, because you see it out there, you know, this is happening to white folks, too. I don't understand why the black folks are so mad. This is happening to Hispanic mm-hmm. folks. And this is, you know, I don't understand why the black folks are so mad. To me, when people say that, that's that just absolutely blows my mind. Well, why aren't we all uniting together if it's happening to the white folks, if the abuse is happening, if the abuse is happening to the Hispanic folks, if, if it's happening to the Asian folks and everybody else? Why is it that the black folks are standing up and nobody else recognizes that we're trying to build equality for everybody here, just not for ourselves? Right. That's what blow, that, that's what blows my mind in regards to this. Mm-hmm. If, it, if, if people are coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, exp- you know, they're telling me and saying, hey, Kenny, you know, I don't understand. Why are you so upset about this? It's just not only happening to black folks, it's happening to white folks too. And I'm like, well, good. If it's happening to white folks, then you guys should be jumping on the bandwagon so we can regulate, you know, police brutality. Yep, exactly. We should be coming together, not separating more. Right. Because, I mean, going back when we when I had mentioned earlier, going back to isolate the problem, and I try to tell everybody to isolate the problem first and recognize the problem before you interject empathy and understanding. So uh, when you peel all the color aside and everything else aside, we, we look at this public official. He's an employee of people for us, okay? And there okay. happens to be a situation that has been over overdrawn. He has pushed over outside of his boundaries. Every single citizen in this United States should be upset about that because that could have been them regardless of color of skin. Because if if we can't control an authoritative figure in his power authority, then that means if we're going to pull color out of it, then that means it could have been randomly some anybody. And that's not that's right. not a way to live in society when, when our own police officers are out there, you know, um, over uh, over exerting force. I mean, that, that could have been just anybody. It just happens to be, you know, that the black community is just finally to a point that we're upset about it because it's happening quite a bit and we are making a stand and that stand um, legitimately and dearly. I honestly believe that we are all standing for equality because that's where we're supposed to be in yeah. a beautiful country. United States. We are united. We should be coming together about this. So, yeah. Well, and you being a military officer, how has that impacted your life and kind of changed your view of things? Because you grew up in kind of 
the situation of being, you know, racially identified, but then you grew up and ended up becoming a true leader in the military. And I think that that's amazing that you were able to do that. So what did being in the military teach you about how to like handle things like this? Man, the military was super fun for me, man. I just had like just a blast in my life. You know, I got to see a lot of stuff. 52 different countries later, I got to see every single stinking culture in this world firsthand in its own natural environment. You know, how fun is that, right? No, that's amazing. I got to live the experiences. I got to have apartments in different countries, that, you know, and walk down to the grocery store as if I would here in the United States, but I was doing it in different countries. And I, I got to see culturally uh, every everybody. Every, I've been able to see everybody. And here we are in, You know, it's almost like kind of Malcolm X, you know, the kind of same thing that happened to him where he went out and kind of, you know, got exposed to his peace and he noticed that the world was identified as one, you know. And Mm -hmm. here in the United States, for some reason, this intersection of segregation has been, you know, the nemesis of our productivity in this country. And, Mm -hmm. you know, deep down in my heart, you know, as a person, I dearly, honestly feel like I try to do the right thing. It's not, it doesn't come from a religious place. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, read a particular book and follow the guidelines. It just really is in my heart and my soul to to just help. You know, I've always been that person. I've always, if, if you reach out to any of my friends or anybody that knows me, it's all this stuff that I'm, you know, all this attention that I'm getting right now, people are literally telling me I am not surprised by you one bit. This is not out of my character. So it's not like... You know, I decided to show up at the 7-Eleven one day and just start, you know, smacking people's wrists. And I've kind of always tried to be the mediation in between the anarchy and peace. So, and I've always tried to bridge those things. So military police had brought some fun stuff. I I got, you know, certified as an anti-terrorism instructor. I'm a close quarter combat instructor, which to anybody's terms that don't know those things, I'm specialized in, you know, hand-to-hand combat, weaponry training. Okay. And there's a whole plethora of stuff that goes along with that. The, the level of training from the military, there's, you know, there's just endless hours of it, you know. And so I'm very proficient in, you know, just simply just using my hands if it came to defense. And the things that it had exposed me to in the military, because the military is a, another melting pot too, isn't it? You, you got all kinds of cultures. You got all kinds of people coming from all walks of life. And right. those scenarios in the military they really become solidified because the banter that happens between us right we all joke around once we build the relationships you know because we, we all have them you know like if you got a buddy mm-hmm. you know and, and, and your ethnicities you know the same ethnicities you're kind of clowning each other you know like you, you say certain things to each other that just make sense culturally and just kind of tease each other and you know what's beautiful about it is if there's a non-ethnic person in that situation then they kind of get buddies with you and then every everybody kind of makes jokes of each other, you know, and that right. relationships even bonded even closer because now, oh, we can see so-and-so can take a joke and you can play around about it. Okay, so we're just going to mess around some more and it's fun. And sometimes we punch each other in the shoulder and, and it happens with the women too in the military and, and, and those relationships become very strong, you know, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. no matter how much we agree to disagree, guess what? We all have to turn from each other, point our guns down range and lay lead. If the threat was to ever impose on us and and take away our liberty to live, no matter what we are discussing at that moment in time, if there's a threat coming at us, we don't even blink an eye and we turn right into the wind 
and defend mm-hmm. what, what we know best. And so when I say that again, because I, I, I emphasize that, because that's, that's, where, that's where I'm so blinded with citizens right now, you know, the patriots of America. I'm a patriot. I, I swore to defend mm-hmm. this country against foreign and, and domestic issues. Right now we have a domestic issue that's threatening our freedom. You know, we got people that are, you know, not, I'm not saying there's a subordination or insubordination because that's only in the military, but, you know, we have a morality problem in society right now where people just are not checking in with their morals and saying, hey, what's right and what's wrong here? I mean, that's just as simple as it gets. So the military brought, brought a lot to me. It brought the discipline, it, it brought the structure, it brought the... Uh, fun training, the exposure brought a lot of lessons. I mean, I, I spent 15 something plus years of my life in the military. That was an amazing time. I got highly decorated. Um, I received a lot of medals. I did a lot of fun stuff. You know, I got a, a, assigned to Air Force One where I got dealt with a special detail. Um, I've, you know, protected delegates, movie stars, and did the plain Jane simple police work on, on, the, on the knuckle and grind every day. Well, that's why I think it's, it's so cool because you literally have experience from every angle. You've experienced from being a black man. You've experienced from being a police officer. You've experienced, got experience from, for being a military, you know, person. You've got experience from traveling the world and seeing all different cultures. And that's, I think what's so great. And I think that's why it makes your opinion mean more because you have been on all different angles. And so that's honestly just really cool that you've been able to experience all of that couple questions really quick. But so you talked about your parents earlier. Um, did you ever see your parents as, as a child experience like racism? And if so, did they ever have the talk with you as a young black man of like what could happen because of the color of your skin? You know, that's those are those are really good questions. My parents, um, I grew up with both my parents, so I, I just I just want to put that out there because I know that's a big thing out there too, right? That's huge, absolutely. Right, right, right. We got a lot of these things out there. And so I, I do definitely want to commend my parents for, for making that a, a, a lifelong journey for me until I actually moved out of my home and decided to go out on my own to do my own journey in life. Both my parents were there. My father and my mother were, were two very unique individuals when it came to this stuff you know here's my mother you know we're, we're talking back in the 70s you know so we're talking about mm-hmm. hippies, flower children and, and all that kind of stuff you know so my mother was just that you know my mother was just this peaceful soul she just had this kind of you know if you imagine any any hippie child you know to be the way they were back in the 70s it probably described my mother to a t you know she really brought the balance of love compassion and really understanding other people to the fullest. And the way my mother had communicated to me about these things is pretty much how you see me now dealing with the matters. You know, it's, it's really of her inside of me coming out. And when she would explain these things to me, she wouldn't address the negative aspect of it. Okay. She wouldn't say, Hey, you're, you're going to grow up, Kenny. You know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to say a lot of bad things towards you because of the color of your skin. My mother came from a place where she would tell me, you're going to come across indifferences in your life and mm-hmm. you are going to have the strength and the power to overcome these things. Why? Because you're Kenny Akers. Mm. So it really comes from a communication base, right? It really comes because if, if you, if you enable somebody, we can have that whole talk too, right? Psychologically. If you enable right. somebody, then they're going to they're be crippled. And 
I don't think I really got that as, as a child. You know, I, I don't really mm-hmm. think I got that as a child at any point in time. Now, to describe my mother, you know, that's just a beautiful thing, you know, and I'm really thankful for that. You know, my mom to this day, you know, I'd say my mother, uh, the picture of me on the on the news the other day, you know, I got dressed up and got into a nice little suit and I sent my the picture to my mother and, and I told her, I said, look, mom, check me out. You know, they got me on the news and you know how it is with your mother, you know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like a little way when I'm talking to my mom and telling her, check me out, mom, you know, this is great, you know, and my mom responds back and she's like, son. I couldn't be more thankful. The fact that you're teaching people how to love. That was my mother's response. You know, she didn't, she didn't look at the negative aspect and, and, and turn around and say, you know, like, geez, you know, that's fantastic. You're on the news. Cause really, honestly, you know, it's no big deal. My mother's lived a full long life. You know, she's seen uh, <laughs> her many times of the news. Right. So she's not too impressed by it, but she looks at it thinking, you know what, you're really teaching pe- people how to love and how to, how to teach people how to be compassionate. And it's, it really is honestly how you talk to people. Absolutely. Well, and it starts from the home and that's what we've been saying. You know, it starts in the home and your mom taught you from the beginning in your house, how to handle it in the, in a positive way and not look at the negative. And I think that's such a huge, important issue because I think a lot of parents don't do that. A lot of parents don't start from the home and that's why we are where we are today. And so I think that's beautiful. And that's amazing that your mom was able to teach you that at such a young age. And so that has like turned you into the man that you are today. Now on the other aspect, my father was a very reserved man. My dad was a, you know, he's six, nine, pretty much a 300 pound man, you know, so he was, he was a pretty big dude, you know? Oh my goodness. And, um, yeah. My, my old man was a, he was a beast, man. He was a, he was a big man. Now what I learned from my dad, my dad carried, he carried that sword, you know, but mm-hmm. I had never had to see my father necessarily swing that sword because of the way my father carried himself. Now, to his advantage, he's six foot nine, 300 something plus pounds, you know, so he didn't necessarily really have to kind of get down with folks when it was time to get down. It was a matter of his stature, you know, it was a matter of the way he spoke to people, you know, when people would address us in public or he was he was being placed in a, in a disadvantaged position because, the, you know, maybe I, the way I look back now because of the color of his skin or being a black man or whatever the case may be. My dad just had this way to communicate to people that would persuade them to think otherwise. And, and mm-hmm. like I said, I think it was a combination of the way he stood, the way that he talked, the way that he was as a black man that really made a huge impact on me. And that's, you know, I go back to the 7-Eleven, you know, I kind of, you gotta, you gotta understand, I look back at it now, you know, my kids have played it nine gazillion times in this house, you know, it's on the TV (laughs) on repeat. And, you know, so at this point I'm kind of, you know, oh, I got to listen to it again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but I think a lot of my father came out of me that day too. You know, I think it was the matter of standing Taking the authority, presenting myself and getting into that voice and getting into that command presence and dictating Mm -hmm. the outcome of the situation, you know, which I felt like it was not right for them to steal and loot, you know, and I I think my mother and my father both because it it both came out of me that day. You know, I really tried to be compassionate to the young brothers and sisters and and people of non-minorities that were out there. You know, I was really trying to pull them aside. I wanted to talk to them. I'm like, hey, man. 
what are you doing? This isn't right, you know? And I really was compelled to really try to help him. But of course, when it became being authoritative, you know, it, it, it was that aspect too as well. So yeah, to go back to your original question, you know, my mother and my father, there's, there's a lot in there, you know, and, I, and I'm really thankful. Yeah. Now there's, a, there's plenty of other people along the way too, like coaches, you know, and um, absolutely relationships, you know, friendships, conversations at the barbershops. You know what? They, they, they are all so needed. Every single, mm-hmm. every single aspect of it. You know, I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for all those experiences. And it just happens to be my situation that happens to be an answer to the anarchy that is happening right now in, in Utah. So, no, I think that's amazing. And I think you're, you know, like I said, it starts, it starts in the home and your parents were a great example of that on how to teach you love, but also how to teach you to be a strong, you know, independent man who's going to use your voice for good. And I think that's really just incredible. Kenny, thank you again for being on here with me today. I was so excited to have you on and just get your perspective on everything. And I think it was just really great. And I think you gave a lot of insight for people. So thank you again. Everyone, this interview is on Zoom. So if the audio you know, is a little bit kind of in and out, with everything going on right now, it's kind of hard to do in-face interviews sometimes. But again, Kenny, you have been all over the news. And so to take the time to talk to little me about you know these issues was really important to me. So thank you again. Um, there's no little about it. If your journey is to spread love and, and to help people understand, you got my back on it 1,000%. Thank you so much. You guys, you can find Kenny on Instagram at Kenny Akers, K-E-N-N-Y, and then Akers is A-K-E-R-S. Kenny, you also have a Twitter. What is your Twitter handle? So both handles are K-E-N-E-A-K-E-R-S. So you can pull up both my gram and my Twitter on, on that handle. Okay, so yeah, K-E-N-E-A-K-E-R-S. Um, so Ken Akers. Okay, perfect. Well, again, you guys, make sure you follow Kenny if you have any questions about what's going on. He has been posting that I'll love triumphs hate, which is a huge thing for Candle in a Dark Room. We talk about that often. Um, so give him a follow. Also, if you are not following Candle in a Dark Room, please. 